The following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. We want to welcome our online listeners today. The title of our message is called Vision for the Spiritual Area of Life. And those of you who have been with us for a while, you know that we're going through seven areas of life. And under each of these seven areas of life, there are seven applications. Today is our last sermon on the spiritual area of life, and it is called vision. Okay, here's our question. What... What does it really mean? You have to think in the spiritual area of life. What does it really mean to have vision? Ryan, how could I block your vision? Just darken you? That'll do it? Just put a hood over your head? So, darkness blocks vision. What's the last thing God does to uh, Satan? Have you ever been in a dark room? I mean a dark room. And it's weird. Like in a cave. Yeah, exactly. And they turn out all the lights and you're like, I mean, you can see nothing. (laughs) Darkness destroys vision. I got to tell you a story. This week, the Lord pulled me into a very, very dark place. And he didn't release me until this morning. And this dark place was, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Luther. They do a fairly adequate job of what his struggles were and what he went through and the whole Reformation process. When I watch that movie, which I do repetitively, And they show these scenes of him being tortured by the enemy. I know exactly in here what he's experiencing. And why leaders who have such a profound corner on truth have to be taken into these dark places has been a major puzzle to me. And I look in the scriptures and I look at Job, I look at David, I look at Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. And God just like takes them into this dark, dark place. And it's predestined. It It is written, it is scripted out in their life. And when God walks me through this valley of of darkness, it's this death darkness. Thank God I don't hear things. Thank God I don't see demons. That would be the worst of the worst for me, Joe. But you know, Joe's experience is ordered according to his predestined life. So is mine. So is yours. And I kept asking God, why? What's the point? You have the power You have everything it takes to keep the lights on. Why do you reach over and switch off the light switch? 
You know, sometimes I just hate these messages. Because God makes them practical. He won't let me preach them unless I embrace them first. And all it takes is a simple gesture of God to just switch off the light switch and I am blinded. I can't get out of a muck if I used every scripture in the Bible to do it. That's how dark my place is when he flips that switch off. But you know what? You and I both know that when you're in a dark room, the only thing that you've got left is faith. I think I know the light switch is right over there somewhere. There it is. That's all you have. You have memory. You have images in your mind that you can fall back on that requires an enormous amount of faith to get to the light switch. Now, I'm going to complicate this and sadden you even all the more. I know that I know that Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father see no darkness. They are never blind. They see through darkness. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's almost like a vision that humans can't even define. Christ was like that. He'd be on one side of the lake one moment and on the other side of the lake the next moment. How did he, how did he penetrate those laws? Because he lives in a domain different than what we see. What is the definition of faith again? You got all this stuff, they have these lives in the unseen world and it is taking and believing that it will go from the unseen into the seen. So this morning I, I show up and I'm setting up the equipment and you know, I'm looking at the slide which I've been looking at for weeks. And I decided well, I'm going to tune this thing up a little bit because I want to start out with a question today. So I put the question in there. And then God asked me the question. And then he gave me an answer. Finally, hello, can't you be a little quicker? I've been struggling with this all week. And he would like, he would like take me and lift my head above the water enough to get a, a, a breath of air. And then he would take me back down again. And you're saying, you, you shouldn't talk about God like that. That's Satan. That's the devil doing that. Oh, no, it's not. That devil doesn't do anything unless he has permission to do it. Remember when Jesus was standing there in front of the governor and the governor says, don't you realize what I can do to you? And of course Jesus said, oh, I know what I do now, thanks. What did he say to him? Add it up, guys. So here I am, not wanting to preach because I'm still feeling this darkness and God says... Very simply, very profoundly, answer the question. Now, I know as a counselor, you only ask questions you already have answers to. It's just a technique that they teach you. So, I know God for sure is not going to ask me a question that he doesn't have the answer to, right? I mean, it's like him walking into the garden in the cool of the day and he goes, Adam, where art thou? Where art thou? 
Well, look, if you created these trees and you can see through the trees and the bushes and the darkness and the light or whatever, why are you asking a stupid question? Because, see, God wants us to connect with our own design. And that's done by asking a question. Confession of darkness requires a deliverance of light. Confession of light requires task, a calling. So, what does it mean to you, Stephen, to have vision? Man, right out of the chute that just shot out of me, shot out of my mind, to have vision is to see the end in its completed fulfillment. That was vision. Well, whether that's in my marriage, whether it's in family life, whether it's in cooking a dinner, whether it's in reading a book in the Bible, it's seeing the completed task. Done. It is done. It's like seeing God. I actually, in my mind, I see God standing, saying, it is done. Shut it down. It's over. Let's go home. Let's have a wedding feast. Let's party. You see, I I see it in my mind. When I look back this way, and I see this gray, dark, formless planet, no solar system yet, and Satan stuck on this powder heap, I see it. Vision is to see. Have you guys heard about the statue that they put up of Christ in Syria? I had that in a vision almost seven years ago. And I'm journaling, and God just opens my eyes, and I see this huge statue come up, completely bronzed, and it's overseeing the entire Middle East, and it's a fake Christ. It's not an indwelt Christian Christ. I mean, is that coincidence? God knows I'm a man of vision. i got to see it. That's why I love PowerPoint. I love drawing. I love painting. I, love, I, I see it. I was in my garage yesterday. I'm, I'm painting a door red. Jane comes out and goes, Why are you doing this? We're moving. I said I saw it. It needed to be done. And I wasn't going to quit until it was finished. You see? It's vision. And what does Satan know also true about me? Darkness. But the thing, you know, that was common sense 101. Duh. Okay, it really is. Satan loves darkness. That's a duh. Now, him knowing that I am a man of vision, I have to have vision. Every day of my life, all day long, I have to have vision. If I don't, I get I feel this this sucking zone thing happening in my soul. But see, not until this morning did I connect with I need to see through the eyes of Jesus. Twenty four 
hours a day. I have to see through the eyes of Jesus that even when all demonic elements come in upon the garden, I still see through the eyes of Jesus. He's put his eyes in me, in you, to see through darkness. That's a pretty big aha for me to start out with today. It was a bum week. Interesting enough, it was one of my most victorious weeks in my writing. Jane texted me earlier, I can't even remember what day it was, and she was wanting to chat before she got her day started. And I said, not now, you know, I, I, I'm focused on this article. And I reread the article after I was done, and it just flat out blew my mind. See, that's Holy Spirit. That's not Steve Finney. I'm still learning how to how how to spell grammar. G R A M E R. <laughs> and that's probably what God does. Just chuckles and goes, "Oh, I just love it when they're dependent." Vision. Does anyone enjoy being blindfolded and led around? We don't like it. We don't like to be hooded. Because we just don't know what's going on. And that's the irony of this topic. Is in the spiritual world, that's exactly what our flesh wants. Darkness. Let's break it down. Self-proclaimed Christians. What do I mean when I use that term? And I know I've been using it for years, but what do I mean by self-proclaimed Christians? As long as God's name's in there, as long as Jesus' name is in there, we're good to go. That's a self-proclaimed Christian. It does not mean they are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Most likely they're not. Anyone who has to make a point about a point, they're proving to you there's a good chance they're not saved. Truth is, truth is a flow. It is life. It is when you're listening to someone and they're saying something that you've never really thought about before, I can tell you when when they're saying it, your spirit is bearing witness to it and it's confirming and you're growing right on the spot. But these people that wrangle words and they argue and they fuss over these little details or whatever, it is a confession they're not in that flow. But we can't judge that. We don't know for sure. It is just something we need to keep in mind. Most self-proclaimed Christians aim in life to be happy Thus requiring God to make them happy. Thus requiring God to make them happy. Oh boy. You know, study the book of Job. See how far Job's request of happiness got him. God drilled him into the ashes until he was ashes. Because God wanted to show creationism, point A to point B in the story of Job, 
Jesus knew it, of course, because he is the Son of God. He is God. He knew that story. It's not accidental that it's the first book in the Bible. Sorry, it's not Genesis. Job was the first book to be written. And out of ashes, God redeems this man and gives him threefold of what he had before. The whole story of creation is in the book of Job. Anyone who has studied it knows it. The whole prophetic element of the Bible that was about ready to be unfolded and the men that God tells them to pick up a quill and start writing for him, it's all there. All the major and the minor prophets, it's all there in in those characters and in that story of the book of Job. It's a powerful book. Happy. Can you imagine Job's wife? I mean, seriously, when, 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 you know, God being in heaven and Satan stood in line with the sons of God, and who were the sons of God again? From the Hebrew? Angels. Standing in line, the sons of God, and he has to wait his turn. Now here's an archangel. He's got his own planet. He's standing in line. And then he gets to the the table of God, the throne of God, and God says, before he could open his mouth, have you, someone finish it, considered my servant Job. It was God's idea. So this morning, I go, okay, okay, okay. Who am I? Before I heard thee by the hearing of my ears, today, I'm quoting right out of Job 42. I see thee. Do you hear it? Before I heard thee by the hearing of my ears, But today, this is at the end of Job's story. Today, I see thee. It took to remove his happiness to find joy. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you endure various trials. God yanked the hood off of my eyes today. In the dark place he had Satan consider my servant Stephen was a very hollowed place. These types of believers expect God to change his doctrines to match their morbid beliefs, particularly the ones that make them unhappy. Well, you know, people are always broke and racking up their credit cards. Better believe in prosperity doctrine or they're never going to get out of debt. See what I mean? Prosperity doctrine is nothing more than I want it now. There's more than the charismatic Christians that are guilty of that doctrine. In fact, our country is guilty of this doctrine. So it's not about that. 
One of the most common used against God is the doctrines of divorce. Many of Christians in my office have made the statement that God does not want me to be unhappy. I cannot even recall the number of times I've heard that in my office over 35 years. Well, God doesn't want me happy, unhappy. He wants me happy. And to live with this, this abusive guy or this whatever, it, no, God wants me happy. He wants his children happy. And I go, could you like show that to me? Could someone please show this to me? That God wants us happy? When all I see, read, hear are stories of God taking us into very dark places to discover a different kind of adjective called joy. And it just so happens that he says, and oh, by the way, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So Stephen, I'm not letting you get away with this one. I'm not letting up until you embrace joy. With this morbid belief comes the twisting of doctrines that surround the issue of divorce. They somehow believe that any marriage relationship or work situation or life experience that hinders them from being happy is a violation of their happiness. What do you consider? I'm being real serious here. It's not a trick question. What do you consider the most grievous sin before God? And yes, it is in the Bible. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Which will launch it. Because that sin's against the Holy Spirit. Which is against God. But I mean, it'll launch it. Pride? What is pride? Can you guys picture for a moment God sitting on a throne? You know, fancy chair. I don't know what it looks like. Looking forward to seeing all that stuff. But he is sitting in a chair. Did you know that God does not leave and cannot leave his chair after he was done with creation? When he rested, that chair was a permanent place for him until one more thing happens. Christ had to do all the work. God was not to leave his throne. Who was it that tried to come and yank God out of that throne? Satan. He fell from heaven like a bolt of lightning. No counseling, no discipleship, no confrontation meetings. He was removed from heaven like a bolt of lightning with no redemption, no forgiveness, and a complete doomsday mentality. That's 
That's it. Didn't get any worse than that. Than playing God chip. You start ordering God around for your happiness and to fulfill your little trinkets of life. And you are tampering with the most grievous sin to the living God. I can change the mind of God. Really? I would like to see that. So they beg, borrow, plead, steal in their prayers to try to convert God's mindset to support what's making them unhappy. I did it this week. And it was really fun watching God get down off of His throne and say, Oh, Steve, you take it this week. He's not going to move for anyone, not even His own Son. He will not leave that chair. Ever. Now, after the wedding feast... We're not quite sure. It'd be fun to see him roaming around in the new earth. Wouldn't that become fun to see God coming off this throne? But there's no, no one threatening it anymore. How cool will that be? Well, let's break it down again. It is imperative that the indwell believer has the same vision for their lives as Christ has through them. The most spiritual and logical means of determining what your vision ought to be is to discover God's vision for you. And I can assure you that that is not going to be something, a calling, that's going to make you happy. My calling in life has got so much sorrow in it. I'm not even going to bore you because it's actually pointless to tell you of all of what I experienced sitting in that chair over in my office. I go from crying over over Lester and struggles that the kids are having to, you know, someone contacting me from a new country and they're telling me a new story and my emotions are like all over the map. And sometimes it takes me into a dark place and I can't get out. And of course, when I'm in a dark place, I say my favorite saying, What's the point? Nobody cares anyway. And I know God's going, It's all right. It's all right. We'll take care of you. No, it's probably more... Oh, goodness sakes. It isn't, that's how I feel it is coming from him. Is like, and you want me to feel sorry for you when it's part of your calling? I don't like it. I don't like the elements of darkness that come with the calling. And I'm sure Jesus didn't either being our husband and God. I'm sure he didn't like all of the dark elements that were a part of his calling. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing known to Jesus himself, and it is actually inside of us. A significant part of those blessings is that he chooses 
us literally before the foundation of the world to be holy, blameless, actually before Him. Standing before the throne were holy and blameless. Well, I look forward to this next week because I have a feeling that my soul will be ministered to in holiness and blamelessness. Because that's what I end up doing, is blaming myself. And I'm kind of setting God up to defy his statement of, Behold, I, the Lord thy God, have wiped away your transgressions, and I will remember not your sins again. And I'm like rubbing it in God's face in my dark place. And he's like, before the foundation of the earth, I made you holy and blameless before me. Don't rub your sin in my face. I mean, that's a huge mindset change, isn't it? For me, it's a very difficult place to appropriate who I am in Christ. But it's got to be done. We don't have to beg or ask for more of Him or His blessings. Everything we need is already implanted within us. We simply need to appropriate these true things in our daily walk. This is one of those impossible things to do without the actual life of Christ in us doing it. So when I say to God, I can't get out of this dark hole. You think he's shocked by that? No, he's going, finally, I've accomplished my goal. I mean, I have dreams about crawling out of blocked holes in the ground and I can't get out. I have dreams about that stuff. I have dreams about betrayal and people running off of a battlefield. I recently just rewatched Braveheart, which I do often, and and uh, Joe and I and another guy are hopefully going to get together and we're going to watch this thing from a ministry perspective. But I, I get in these dark holes and I can't. It's like I'm clawing and the dirt's just you know I'm not getting out. It takes a deliverer. And then God does one of these numbers. Okay. Why didn't you do that on day one? Because coming to that point of it's impossible for us to get out of this place without the life of Christ. Will he curse me? Or will he bless me for this dark place? I wish I could say I bless him every time, but I don't. So how can we share in his holiness? Here's what Hebrews 12.10 tells us. For they disciplined us, talking about our parents, okay? There's parents today, I know, that don't discipline their children. And they're running around uh, acting like wild children. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about those who do discipline their children. For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. In other words, everyone's techniques can be a little bit different. 
But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. So how do you take the children and have them share in your goodness? I mean, how, how, that, isn't that the goal of parenting is to try to take these new human beings and and conform them to your image, what you believe doctrinally, what you believe in family life, what you believe. You're trying to conform them to the image of the parents? Yes, it's a good goal. He's actually comparing how it's done. He wants to show us what God is going to do with us to have a share in His holiness. It's through discipline. So what would be the number one thing that Satan would want to remove from society? Discipline. Discipline comes from another Greek word, and that word is disciple, which means a follower of a particular leader. A disciple of Christ means a follower of Jesus Christ. So to discipline your children, you are turning them into disciples of, of you as parents. And you are giving what has been given to you. But what if we have a, a Christian, self-proclaimed Christian or a real Christian, and they just refuse to be taught and, and trained? I sure hope you're getting this gap because it's huge. It is all over the world. These parents who the scriptures called stupid shepherds, that is a quote, unquote, stupid shepherds. And there's not one of those shepherds that can be disciplined and trained by an authority figure. I can't tell you how many times Janie and I cry, we grieve over looking at this generation and seeing the wandering, self-independent, proclaimed Christians trying to raise up their children. And it's turning their children into selfish, self-ambition children, which James chapter 3 says is demonic doctrine. You see, as soon as you switch off the light in respects of discipline, having someone in your life to bring discipline and training, what have I got to offer these kids? My own ideas. You see, my own ways, my own concepts, my own beliefs, my own whatever. That's all I've got to give them. Well, yeah, that certainly would be a part of it. Yeah. Oh, I've seen that a lot. Yeah. Having the child discover themselves.
Well, what what you are giving to the next generation, to the children, is what has been given to you. I don't know other way to do it. So if the if the individual mother or father is not being disciplined and trained within a governing uh, governance of God's domain, what are you giving these kids? I'll tell you exactly what you're giving them. Culture. You're giving them culture. You're not giving them life. You're not giving them transformation. You're not giving them correction, instruction, all the stuff in Timothy that we're told. Doctrines, reprove, correction, instruction. No, you you don't. You, you can't do that stuff because you're clueless yourself. So what's going to happen is simply this. As in parenting, we discipline our children in order for them to share in our goodness as parents. God in like manner uses discipline as the process in which we can share His holiness. Okay, that, that really doesn't take a master's degree to figure out. He's making a very simple comparison. The way children share your goodness as parents is through discipline. That would be duh 101. The way you as the parent receive holiness, my holiness, is through discipline. Can you see this? No, I can't. I am blinded by something that stops me from seeing the common sense parallels of simplicity. That's darkness. It's a very dark place. Nobody likes to be disciplined, but it is through the things we suffer that we learn obedience. Which is what Christ said. By accepting discipline from the Lord, we become partakers in His divine, holy attributes. Another word for holiness is sanctification. And this word has been, this word has the meaning of being reserved or designated for a particular use or calling. Therefore not available for the same deed or function. Sanctification is the process. We believers yield our self-life to the cross and embrace the eternal purpose and function of Christ within us. It means being set apart for God and God alone. That child is set apart for you and Shannon. Nobody is to steal that. And if you let your children wander, they're going to end up at the neighbor's house. And they will be more than happy to take that charge with that child. Now we can throw out statistics on what's happening in the world today on, on child kidnapping. The numbers will probably mess with your mind. It's huge. There's not a community that escapes it anymore. Why is Satan kidnapping our children? I say, duh. It's that simple. 
Can you look at that, Stephen? Duh. But you know what? That black bag is still over the parents' head. Wandering around like nomads in, in prairie lands and, and in deserts and in, in their occupations or whatever. They're just wandering with a black hood over their face. Blinded. And thinking they have clear vision. Of darkness they do. Joe. Yes. Right. Not allowing your neighbor or somebody else or not cause division. Yes. You know, it is safer to take a Mormon child who has been a hundred percent dedicated to their Mormon parents, their Mormon family, their Mormon church. It is so much easier to take that child now that they're adult. They're knocking on my door going, Could you tell me why Mormons are looked upon by Christians as cults? Sure. Are you really wanting the answer to this? Yeah, I really do. Do you know how easy it is to change the mindset of a child who has been 100% dedicated to the doctrines of their mommy and daddy and their church, and they're called cults by the mainstream church, they're easy to convert. Because they're faithful and loyal to their parents. If Satan can snap that that loyalty, that dedication to the parents, just snap it, it's done. The children will wander. And you know what? And as they get older, 14, 15, 16 years of age, and they're committing sins they never thought their children would ever commit, there is, you would think you'd be able to look at their lives and go, oh my God, what did we do wrong? We don't. We blame them. For some parents to get it, they just don't ever get it. They stay in darkness until they're dead. And then they're in darkness forever. They are people of darkness. Predestined before the ages. But we fight it but we can't stop sharing it because we we don't know who's in who's out who's we don't know so we have to be committed to this higher calling of sanctification as into all Christians we have been redeemed out of darkness willfulness and rebellion Some have come out of the defiling background so far as our past lives are concerned. How can a former worker of iniquity be used by the king of kings? Or do you not know 
that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, or effeminates, or homosexuals, or thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. If that doesn't spank you, I don't know what will. I mean, that is just blunt. If you fit this list, you're just not going to make it. I say, ouch. See, just that alone would make me want to have God do a flushing and a reviewing of my life to make sure I'm not practicing or actually assisting in support of these areas. Such were some of you, but you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. See, you can commit individual sins of those things, but when they are being manifested as your identity, you're in a different ballpark. Redemption covers sins. But a lifestyle of sins is a whole different ballpark. And that's what this scripture These are identity statements being made. So please, please keep that in your mind as you are listening to this message. It's not, oh, I've committed some of those sins since I've been born again. He is referencing this as an identity statement. If this is a lifestyle of who you are, how you're functioning, you probably better get on your face and ask God to bring clarification and verification of your salvation. This passage clearly clears up uh, many of the political arguments in our day today, like, you know, homosexuals going to heaven. That is a lifestyle. See what I mean? If it is a choice you make versus a lifestyle, picket carriers are saying lifestyle, lifestyle, lifestyle. They're in a different ballpark. That's what's being said here. We have been washed of such satanic identities, sanctified, set apart by the justification, just as if we did not sin, which is the definition of justification. Just as if I did not sin of our Lord and Savior through the placement of the Holy Spirit within. So when I am grieved with my sin, and it is just, it is washing over me, and I stand before God, and I'm just trying to get rid of this guilt... And it's not going away. Why? 
Real question. Why not? Day after day, night after night, sleepless night, after sleepless night. Why? Why am I going to go away when all this guy's got to do is go... Very good. It doesn't mean that we're guilty before the Lord anymore, but you know, the concept of thinking. Do you think sometimes he, he puts people to trust that they stop having the poor me attitude? Why me? Why me? Why me? Why me? Poor, poor me, poor me, poor me. And they start thinking of others and other struggles to help others in their struggles instead of just being focused on the poor me. Now you're starting to sing my song. <laughs> I am so much about other people that I go just as deep about me. My extreme here is my extreme here. And I don't think that's accidental with the enemy. But see, taking my cue said is when I am, am pleading with God and I am I'm begging to get for this guilt to get out of me, away from me, and God is just pushing. It's just it's pushing me a little bit a gentle way, like a parent would do it, and just slowly pushing me to this point where I can feel the master's judgment table on my chest. I mean, seriously, stay with me on this. I am just grieved. Do you think the people in that line, he wants them to understand the answer before their chest touches the table? Wrong. This is the moment of redemption. When that, when my chest touches the throne table of God and he has the right to say, go, to hell. Instead, he says to me, for you are washed, Stephen. I hold this not against you. You're redeemed. You're sanctified. You're holy. You're chosen. You're a priest. And I hear him say these things in my mind. And I can feel the judgment table brushing up against my ribcage. And he's saying these things to me when I'm expecting condemnation. And I'm not talking about on Judgment Day. I'm talking about today. And whatever it is that's going to happen to you today. Then he doesn't stop there. He says, now Stephen, I want you to display this, what you just experienced, to others. Well, I don't like that part. I like the judgment part. You're up against my table. Do you see what you've done here? But you know, even in discipleship, there's this perfect moment where their ribcage is touching the desk of their discipler. And then you hit them with the truths that set them free. 
when I could have told them somewhere in the lineup, right? How many believe that they would have listened? Now they're probably like, okay, here's what I'm going to say. I think I'm going to get away with this. Okay, if I just say that, I, that's what I'll say. That's what I'll say. Okay, I can't say that. If I say that, he's going to catch on. Maybe I should just say that. Oh, my gosh, there's two more people. Oh, let's see, I'm going to say that. I'm his child. Is that not what our prayers are? It's like self-reciting justification. I do it. I mean, my prayers are filled with that sometimes. Instead of, okay, I got this coming. <laughs> this is not going to be pleasant. Oh, boy, two more people. Listen, all right. Okay. Hello. Yeah, I really messed up here. How do you think that righteous king of kings, lord of lords, the god of the universe, is going to respond to that young man? I'll always be young to him, of course. But if I make excuses, the pride, all that other stuff starts to come in, oh, I can only imagine what's going to happen. Put him at the end of the line again. Fun. I love him, but he's, he's not right. That's what I believe happens. To learn more. So that we get to the table of grace. The, the, the very Shekinah glory that's going to wash over us. Pride can stop it from happening. So when we're there, it's got to be a perfect moment. And this morning, my chest touched the judgment table without having to experience the consequences of it. That's grace. But it was a perfect moment. Janie, what did you say to me before I left this morning? Many years ago, the Lord gave me a new name. I asked him for another name. And he gave me a new name. And the name that he gave me is Stephen the Redeemed. Well, if you look up redemption, there's a lot of ugly things with it. And I've already told you the story about what Keith Fredrickson said to me. Is that, oh, you want to be wise? Through increasing knowledge, there's increasing grief. Through increasing wisdom, there's increasing pain. Is that what you really want? And it blew out of me like Shekinah glory, and I says, yes, that's what I want. I bet God's like, oh, he's so impulsive. But I like it. See, I'll grab my sword off of the ground so fast it's ridiculous. And I hold that sword up and I am ready to go to battle and all of a sudden the enemy will come over the hill and I'm like, ah! Ah! And I look around and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm alone too. You know, and I'm, and I'm, I'm in this moment. 
And that's where God ministers to me the most. But see, I'm not alone. There's warriors all over that field somewhere. The enemy's technique is to use darkness. Can't see him, can you? They're alone. You're alone, aren't you? And now, after today, I'm going to hold that sword up. And I'm going to look around and go, well, you know, the guys aren't behind me, but they're out there somewhere. We need to charge. And all of a sudden, it all seems to come together. So in finishing, this, there's several points I want us to see. The first one is His holiness, this sanctification is actually Christ in us. So, 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, But by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus. So, it's got nothing to do with us. Who became to us wisdom from God. That peace I know. I know that there's a special gift given to indwelt believers of profound wisdom that is beyond anything on this earth. Yesterday we're having breakfast together and and what did I say to you guys in regard to sometimes I just hate? Do you remember? Eggs. Sometimes I just hate my gifting. Because I see... Oh boy, I'm going to get in trouble with this. but send, Go ahead, send emails and I'll explain it. But I actually see the future in people's lives sometimes. I get it all the time with Q. You know, other people that are, you know, God has assigned me to watch very carefully. I see it. I have this vision. It's not like seeing things. It's like, like Joe's a good example. When I met him, I saw where God was taking him. And the types of struggles he would have. And that's exactly what started to happen, even the struggles. So, I'm not saying on February 14, 19, or 2000, you know, 19, you're going to have a accident. No, I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm talking about more of a prophet style of thinking of you're talking to someone and the Lord unfolds what's going to happen. You see? It's to stay with them, not to run from them. That's the point. So when it happens, hang in there, stay there, stay engaged in the battle. Number two, the word goes on to tell us that there is a working out of this sanctification and holiness in our daily lives. Second Corinthians 7 1 says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God. What did Jesus call John? If you have Bible software, type in Beloved. Limit your search to the New Testament. You might have a little bit of a ha. I did. You are actually looked upon 
by Jesus in the same way he looked upon John. The Beloved. John was the disciple to demonstrate the Bride of Christ. And that's what he calls you and me. The Beloved. It's a very special spot to be in. Number three, all of this is to enable us to worship God in the beauty and splendor of His holiness, thus sharing in His beloved attributes. And of course, Psalms 29.2 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to His name. Worship the Lord in holy array. Here's our identity matter statement for today. What higher spiritual vision can a believer have for him or herself? Well, the answer to that question is reviewing these four points. We truly need to allow the Spirit of the living God to address us personally. With where do you place your personal holiness in the priorities of life? Number two, have you allowed this vision to grip your soul so that it becomes an eternal desire for your daily living? Number three, if holiness becomes a high priority in life, what would it cost you? What would it cost me? Good question to ask. And are you, number four, is are you willing to pay that price? Questions we must answer. Ephesians 1.4 says, just as he chose us, in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before supernatural act of God. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.